So this morning, I'm, uh, my title of my sermon this morning is John 3.16. My text, John 3.16. You'll find that it's printed in the New King James in your, in your outline for easy reference together with the sermon outline so that you might follow me. Walk with me as I always do through Psalm 19.14. So, dear Lord, this morning... Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. Amen. Well, on January the 13th, 2012, a writer for ESPN, for those of you that aren't familiar with that cable network, it's mostly a, a sports channel, but they do other things. And this writer wrote about some eerie coincidences related to John 3.16. I want to read from his column for you this morning. And this is, I'm quoting him. There's no need to embellish in this story. Facts speak for themselves. On January the 8th, 2009, in the BCS championship game, then-Florida quarterback Tim Tebow wore eye black with the inscription, John 3.16, a reference to the Bible passage that says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. And he keeps writing. On January the 8th, 2012, three years to the date, after he caused millions of football fans to Google The meaning of John 3.16, Tebow played his first NFL playoff game against the Pittsburgh Steelers. And Tebow threw for 316 yards. Tebow averaged 31.6 yards per completion, which was the highest single postseason completion average in NFL history. Tebow threw the game-winning 80-yard touchdown pass to Desmarius Thomas, That was the NFL's longest postseason pass in overtime history. And CBS's final quarter hour overnight ratings were, yes, a 31.6. End of quote. By the way, the quarterback for the Steelers was saved shortly thereafter. And you might know him. He's famous. I think he's still playing maybe today. But he was already exposed to Christianity before he thought he was. And then he walked away. Terrible man, terrible history, terrible sins, like the rest of us. And this brought him around to the Lord Jesus. Now, these kind of interesting little tidbits I find for myself, not everyone does, but but the words in today's text are eternally more important than the stats from a football game. And these words, John 3.16, were spoken by history's greatest person, the virgin-born Son of God, Jesus Christ. And these words solve humanity's greatest problems, sin, death, judgment, and eternity. And these words secure heaven's greatest promise, that is that we can be forgiven and we can receive everlasting life. You know, one preacher said that this text is a volume and a verse, an ocean in a dewdrop, and a continent in a cup. 
I say it's simple. It's simply the marvelous, measureless, and magnificent story of God's love for us, for you, and for me. And from this timeless text, I want you to notice four simple things in your outline about the love of God. First, in your outline, consider the scriptural record of God's love. For God so loved the world. And I have found in John 3.16 a place where a hungry man can find bread, a thirsty man can find drink, a lonely man can find a friend, and a weary man can find rest. And so, for God so loved the world, in John 3.16, there is a place where a lost man can be found, a broken man can be restored, a dirty man can be made clean, and a wicked man can be forgiven. And for God so loved the world, in John 3.16, there is a place where a sick man can be made well, a bound man can be set free, a sinful man can be made righteous, and a dead man can be made alive. And so our text, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. John 3.16. No other verse in the Bible says so much to so many in so few words. Only 25 words to commit to memory. But the truths that you find here have ushered many a repentant sinners into the family of God. You know, children have been saved while learning this verse. Teenagers have been born again at camps and revivals. Adults have bowed their hearts and bent their knees at the feet of the Lord after somebody told them, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. See, I'm grateful for the unmistakable record of his love. And I want us to quickly notice two things about this amazing love. First, in your outline, consider A, the beginning of it, for God. You know, this verse has been described as the gospel in a nutshell. And it does not begin with man. Our text begins for God. It's a reminder that we were unwilling and certainly unable to start our salvation. And salvation is not man reaching up to God. If you want proof that salvation starts and ends with God, keep in mind that God so loved the world even when there wasn't a world to love. Ephesians 1.4 says, We were chosen in Christ before the creation of the world. 2 Timothy 1.9 says, We were given this grace before time began. And then consider B in your outline, which is the, the basis of it. So loved the world. And I want you to notice that we are the recipients of this love, but we are not the cause of it. Salvation's plan is not based on the needs of man. It is based on the character of God. This love did not come because we were lovable. This love came because he is loving. And as I've said in other sermons, he did not love you because you are worthy. You are worthy because he loves you. And listen, the problem 
with self-esteem, self-edifying and healings preaching is the focus is on self. If you want to know about your worth, fix your eyes on Jesus. Also, if you want to know about your worth, turn your ear upon Jesus. The old hymn says it best. Jesus loves me. Yes, I know. For the Bible tells me so. Indeed, the Bible tells us so, and it tells us so without question. I want you to listen to just a short litany of scriptures. I've listed 12. I could have listed hundreds. First, Romans 5.8. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Galatians 2.20, the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. 1 John 3.16, by this we know, because he laid down his life for us. Psalm 136.1, give thanks to the Lord for he is good, his love endures forever. One of my favorite, Romans 8.37-39, and listen, Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. In Psalm 51.1, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. Ephesians 2, 4, and 5, But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. Psalm 86, 15, But you, O Lord, are a God full of love and grace. 1 John 3, 1, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. Psalm 109, 26, Help me, O Lord. Save me according to your love. Lamentations 3.22 The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases, and his mercy never comes to an end. Then number 12, John 3.16 For God so loved. And there are many, 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 many more verses. Listen, we, we have a record of that love every time we open the Bible. And now second in your outline, consider the supreme revelation of God's love. You know, when you truly love someone, you want to show them. Some people speak about love, but they don't show it. A few folks might show their love, but they may have difficulty expressing it. God does both. He says it in his word, and he shows it through the blood of Calvary's cross. I think God's love is a practical love. I think it's a demonstrated love. God's love is clearly a felt and observed love. And then consider in your outline, A, how gracious was he to the world. The love of God is amazing. Not just because of the source of it and the scope of it, but because of the subjects of it. For this great God didn't just love some people or even most people. He loved the world. A world filled with sorry, sinful, good-for-nothing, depraved sinners just like you 
and like me. You know, the Greek word here for world, cosmos, can refer to the physical world, but it also references humanity. And when it's used in that tone, it's referencing sinful and wicked humanity. I think we can completely understand loving someone who has some commendable qualities and characteristics. But can we truly comprehend loving someone who hates you so badly that they kill your own son just so you can stay away from them? Well, listen, God did not just love pretty little girls in fancy dresses sitting in Sunday school or handsome young boys in seersucker suits carrying their Bibles or respectable businessmen and women in business suits. No. He loved dopeheads, drug addicts, homosexuals, drunkards, harlots, homewreckers, folks who grew up in church and folks who never went, good upright sinners, sorry low-down sinners. In other words, he loves people like you and like me. That's how gracious he was to the world. Secondly, in your outline, how great was his only begotten son? You know, salvation is free, but it's not cheap. It costs the sinner nothing, but it costs God his only begotten son. And commentator D.A. Carson points out that the phrase only begotten son stresses the greatness of the gift. The father gave his best, his unique and beloved son. The giver is God the father, the gift is God the son. And this phrase only begotten is from a single Greek word, monogenes, one of a kind, unique, one in nature. Nobody else ever lived before he was born. Nobody else was ever conceived like he was conceived, and nobody else ever lived like he lived. And never ceasing to be God, he had a virgin birth, a sinless life, a substitutionary death, and physical resurrection. That's what God did to secure and purchase our salvation. You know, in the days of World War I, a British man was walking at night with his young son. He passed a window with a picture of a man and a star on it. And he told his son that that meant that this family had given up a son in this terrible war. And the little boy thought as the stars were coming out, he says, oh, God must have given a son in war too. Yeah, in the battle for our souls. You know that God gave a son as the supreme revelation of his love. Third in your outline, the specific recipients of God's love. This great preacher, S.M. Lockridge, he said that this verse is the anthem of redemption. And the question is, who is saved by this act of divine love? Well, first consider in your outline the reach of it, that whosoever... That word, whoever or whosoever, means exactly that. The Greek word here is pas, P-A-S, and it means all. Two-thirds of the time that this word is translated, it's translated as all. 
And of course, it's also translated in the Bible as all things, every man, whoever, whosoever, everyone. And I'm glad it didn't say good people or we'd all be out of luck. Tall people, some of us wouldn't make it. And smart people, many of us wouldn't have a chance. You know, as a good Pharisee, Nicodemus, whom Jesus was talking to in these passages, would have believed God loved Jews. But Jesus said, whoever, that's the reach of it, that whoever. And then consider the requirement of it, believes in him. The death and resurrection of Christ did not provide salvation for everyone. In other words, whoever did not get saved. It's not whoever closes their eyes, bows their head, prays a little prayer, lifts a hand, is baptized, joins the church, gives to the offering plate. It's whoever believes. Acts 16.31 says, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. John 20, 31 states, But these have been written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and believing you may have life in his name. John 1, 11 and 12, He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God, even to those who believed in his name. You know, God's word speaks of total confidence and trust. It's not believing in the head, but in the heart. Romans 10, 9 speaks of believing in the heart. And it states that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So this morning we've heard the scriptural record of God's love, the supreme revelation of God's love, the specific recipients of God's love, and now forth the spiritual results of God's love. And that is, should not perish, but have everlasting life. You know, the construction of this phrase reminds us that there are only two options. You will either perish or you will have life. Listen. You don't have to go to heaven. And you don't have to go to hell. But you can't stay here. The simple fact is, you are going to die and then you will face heaven or hell. But when you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, there are two blessed benefits you receive. First, a merciful substitute. Mercy here equals God not giving us what we deserve. Now, Jesus did not deflect the wrath of God from us. He bore the wrath of God for us. I want you to picture a downpour of rain. Jesus does not shield us from the wrath of God like an umbrella. He took and absorbed the wrath of God like a towel. You know, when I was a young attorney, separated from my wife, I had a major injury and I was in the hospital a few days. I have memories of my dad sitting next to my bed 
telling me over and over, I wish I could trade places with you. I thought my dad didn't know what he was talking about. I figured that he had never experienced real pain or he would not have been talking about trading places with me. But now as a senior adult with three kids of my own and nine grandchildren, I know my dad knew exactly what he was talking about. But what my dad could not do was trade places with me and take my pain upon himself. But my precious Savior did at the cross. 1 Peter 3.18 states, For Christ has suffered for sin once for all, the just for the unjust. Each of us can say, I should have been crucified. I should have suffered and died. I should have hung on that cross in disgrace. But Jesus, the Son of God, took mine, your place. He was indeed a merciful substitute resulting in a marvelous salvation. You know, this great gift doesn't merely keep us from eternal death. This great gift imparts eternal life, and that is abundant life, fulfilling life, joy-filled life, and overflowing life. I'm going to ask the praise team if they could come to the platform and lead us in a closing song. And as the praise team approaches, listen, here are the choices. Apart from Christ, you are dead. If you do not receive him, you stay dead and you keep dying and dying and dying and dying. Receive him as your Lord and you begin to live and live and live and live. You know, the longer we study our salvation, we should be more grateful because we realize what the cost was to God and what he did to save sinners like me and sinners like you. Amen? Okay.
God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. I would normally say see you next week but I want to see you in the fellowship hall as we bid our brothers and sisters who are leaving the state a farewell. Amen?